to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. We're going to be doing a lot of that this evening, it sounds like. You know, when we don't do it for a while, we feel the need to make it up We've Some been a little true crime heavy. Yeah. We, we've been pretty true crime heavy in a little literary moment. Literary moments. Which we don't yeah. usually do. And no, so that's true. That was a little bit of a departure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll bring it Our back. Our live episode, you know. Yeah. We had that Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest, which was super fun. Super fun. So, I mean, this is a little crimey. There's some, like, crimey moments in this. That's, like, an official terminology is crimey. Um, crimey. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh Coined by me, you're welcome. I have weird words. Um, sure. But I feel like this is going to be a fun one to do. And, you know, coming out of slash continuing to go into because it's year round for us, spooky season. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies to watch to feel a little, you know, spooked. Sure. The Conjuring. It is a good one. I think the original personally is my favorite of the all of them. And I know we've also we've covered the Enfield Poltergeist previously. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we which have. Was yeah, yeah. An inspiration to one of the Conjuring movies, and mm-hmm. so I think you know if you haven't seen or heard of the Conjuring, I'm not sure what rock you're living under. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for today's episode. We're actually going to be discussing the inspiration behind The Conjuring, the home and the story that inspired that of the movie, and diving into what actually, allegedly, or actually, allegedly, (laughs) (laughs) happened. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of the story. So if you don't know it, you'll get like a Cliff's Notes version of it up front. And then we're going to kind of dive in. So for those of you who don't know, the synopsis of the story is as follows. In the winter of 1970, the Perrin family moved into a farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. And it was built about 200 years prior. They were allegedly, (laughs) allegedly, uh, terrorized by what some call a demonic presence. Uh And Carolyn, the mother, was impacted the most. There is an association um, with an alleged witch, uh, a variety of deaths, a potential curse, ghosts, all of the above. A real nice little uh, buffet, if you will, of things that we love to cover. It's true. Love a good curse, too. Love a good curse. Right? And um, (laughs) then throw in a dash of Ed and Lorraine Warren on top Mm. of it. Uh, They were involved in an investigation in the house and used their research in their lectures. And um, the parents uh, moved out in 1980, and the Conjuring film came out in 2013. It Uh actually was based on the story of the parents' experience, and the Warrens were pretty much main characters Uh throughout um, the entire movie, which brought a lot of attention to this home in particular. So that's just a quick little bite-sized synopsis of what this story is about. So I actually got really excited covering this because there's so much stuff to look at Mm -hmm. about this topic. 
I know, Kim, you already know about this, so it's not going to be too surprising for you, I'm sure. But I feel like for some of our listeners, you might have seen a ghost special on The Conjuring House. You might have seen the movie The Conjuring. You Uh might have, I don't know, done your own homework, read Uh a book or two. Um, There's been a couple. Yeah, there's been a few. And, Uh um, you know, what I found to be the coolest part of researching this topic was just the plethora of content available to reference. And so I watched a bunch of stuff and I read (laughs) a bunch of stuff. And of course you have the movie itself, all the ghost shows Uh that investigated the Harrisville farmhouse that the story is based off of, including Kim, your favorite Mm. ghost adventures. (sighs) Big sigh. Lord, big sigh. I will, I'll try to be nice, but no promises. <laughs> it's okay. I won't sit on it for too, too long. But they actually did a Halloween special in 2019 called they um, The Curse of the Harrisville Farmhouse. It's like an hour and a half uh, episode. How many times did Zach feel a demon oh. touch his balls? If you noted it in every part of the episode with a shot, (laughs) you would be wasted. I'll just say that. Um, I'll drink to that. But we also won't focus on that too much today. I'll talk a little bit about... Demons touching his balls? No, 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 no. That's not worth time. No, we don't need to do that. Um, But talk about the episode and like what I thought at least was interesting about it because it's tough to make me think there's something interesting about ghost adventures in general um, other than the entertainment value. Mm Mm-hmm. However, there's other shows. There's actually, I don't know if you've ever watched BuzzFeed Unsolved. Have you ever watched that show? I have. I've watched it a couple times for episodes we've we've done. Uh, and, and there's some interesting stuff on that sometimes, yeah. So they did an episode on the Harrisville Farmhouse, and it was one of the first episodes that they did post-pandemic. And oh. <laughs> they dressed up as cats to try to get a paranormal response. <laughs> Sure, like you do. As one does. Um, So, I mean, if you like entertainment, sure, watch that. Um, I had to, for the sake of air quotes research, watch a bunch of stuff to see what I could find that was valuable and what was not, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I watched all those. uh, But one of my favorite findings was the documentary titled The Harrisville Haunting, The Real Conjuring House. Watched it on Prime, um, which we will probably be talking about a little bit later couple other ghost shows we'll reference at some point in the future so hold on to your butts we'll get to it Uh Um, but in addition to that obviously there's a sensationalization of of the story and a lot of that happens in those shows but um, because the main story and experience took place in the 1970s there's a lot of people that are still around to tell the tale of what happened sure and um, you know I think for the sake of being respectful to those people um I'll want to be as, you know, honest as possible going through all the information that we have, but at the same time, call a spade a spade. So we will well, do our best we, to we, do that. We encounter this a little, I think, with, with the Amityville where, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you don't want to discount somebody who, who stands by certain experiences they had, particularly when some of them were people who experienced this as children. Um, or experience something as children, because that is a very different experience to have, especially if you're having parents possibly reinforcing things. For sure. Um, so it, it's it's you don't want to downplay somebody who is very convinced something happened, uh, even if evidence evidence might suggest otherwise. That is true. So obviously, you know, when someone's still around. 
they can listen to, watch all the things that are being produced about them. Mm-hmm. But they can also produce their own things, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. So specifically, Andrea Perrin, one of the daughters of uh, the parents, actually put out not one, not two, but three books yeah. based on her experience and her family's experience called House of Darkness, House of Light, volumes uh-huh. one, two, and three. Three. I believe they were self-published, too. Oh, they were, they were absolutely self-published, yeah. and she absolutely needed an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I only read part of part one, volume one, because I could not get through it. They're not, yeah, they're not the easiest reads, only because they are, uh, they're rough. They're rough. They're very rough. It's very obviously self-published. Um, mm-hmm. But also, like, hey, you want to tell your story and you want to get out there? I get it. Fantastic. So we'll also get into the nuance of credibility of those books in a bit. I just wanted to mention that I'm going to use those as a reference, too. So there's a variety of things that we'll talk about today. Um, But what I want to point out here is that a lot of this story is based on personal experiences, credibility or lack thereof, Uh legends and lore. (laughs) And then there's the actual history woven in somewhere, Uh right? Uh Which makes this topic in my opinion, a chef's kiss, perfect ghoulish tendencies topic. Mm -hmm. So having said that, there is a lot of conflicting information about this case. What? A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And not just like about the case, but about the history that's reported with the case. Sure. Uh, But the good news is I found a resource that did some heavy, heavy research. Nice. And falls into the category that we like to refer to as scullying. <gasps> yes. So, Kim, you are in for a good time. I'm here for it. I believe we're going to be calling that batshit or bullshit, <laughs> which we'll get to in a bit. I'm excited. Now, our friend, I have someone who I genuinely, like, he's alive and around and wrote this article that I'm going to be referencing a lot named Kenny Biddle, which is also just a great name. It's a great name. Um, he wrote an article called Correcting the Conjuring House <gasps> History. Is this skeptical uh, inquirer? In in- skeptical yeah, inquirer. I love this guy. So I, we, I love the I love skeptical inquirer. I mean, again, it's a it's it's made for me. It's from the magazine for science and reason. Of course, of course, you love it. Fantastic. It's yes. very good. So I'm going to be referencing that in our scullying section quite nice. a bit. So we're going to have a great time. Um, So let's get into it, shall we? I just wanted to give you a heads up of where we're getting this information from. Love. So the full story. I gave you a Cliff's Notes version of it. Let's get into the deets. Now, the real Perrin family consisted of parents Roger and Carolyn Perrin Mm -hmm. and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cynthia, and April. They moved into the property known as the Harrisville Farmhouse, which is actually also known as the Arnold Estate, in 1970. This house was actually built in 1736, and it's a 3,100-square-foot home that still sits on the original stone foundation from pre-Revolutionary War times. It's old. So I think that's really cool, though. Old uh, old for the U.S., too. (laughs) Old for us and the U.S., yes. Old for me, I would say, just for me. You're more well-traveled than I am. But um, this did survive quite a bit. It survived the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. There was actually a hurricane in 1938 that took out, like, all the homes around it, but this house 
stood. Nice. So it's been around. Now, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, according to Andrea, her mother discovered the farm, quote, quite by accident in June of 1970, end quote. Sure. I'm like, how do you accidentally find a house? But okay, sure. Noting that the previous owner was, quote, an elderly gentleman who captured our hearts with his kindness and generous spirit, end quote. Sure. My question is, is he a ghost? Is that why he was a generous <gasps> He spirit? was a ghost the whole time. That would make so much more sense. That'd be so much more interesting. Right? Well, totally different story. <laughs> I'm only going to buy property from ghost real estate agents from now on. I mean, did you know decided. in New Orleans, they have signs that say haunted or not haunted on their real estate? <laughs> that See, that for me, I wish everywhere did that because, like, then you just don't waste time with the non-haunted places. You but can just go straight like, to the haunted. You know you're in a hub of haunted places if you have to specify. That's true. That's very true. I think it's very funny. That's just me. Anywho, the neighbors, when the parents moved in, told them to leave the lights on at night. I'm okay. sorry. I just hurt my eyes from rolling them. Say that again. <laughs> the neighbors told them to leave the lights on at night. Um, hey. Now, according to an interview with Andrea Perrin, uh -huh. when the family first moved in, 91-year-old local historian Mr. McKirchern, McKirchern, Mr. McKirchern came and introduced himself and told the family about a spirit at the house. Was it the old owner? Sorry, had <gasps> to. Yes. A spirit at the house who had a broken neck, whose head hung off the, to the side of her dress. Mm -hmm. Mr. McKirchern said that it was Mrs. Arnold who had hung herself on the property and the farmhand had actually taken her body down and moved it into the house so that she could be buried in the family plot because if anyone found out that she took her own life, she would be excluded from the family plot. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But I'm just questions. Yeah. Wouldn't you notice that she has a broken neck regardless of where she's located? Like... Well, I mean, but you could also, I don't know, she fell down the stairs. She tripped and hit her head and neck against the dresser. Listen, I had a dresser fall on me like three days ago, so I'm just saying. <laughs> Fair? Okay. <laughs> Whereas somebody hanging from something. Well, and also, uh, yeah, I mean, how closely are the physicians looking at her? Well, there, I, See, there's also that whole, like, nudge, nudge, wink, wink thing of, like, oh, she died and a doctor examining the body and realizing what they're looking at, but like not wanting to be a dick and just being like, yes, you're right. She, she died. She can be buried in the family plot or buried on Holy That's Land fair. or whatever. So okay. I don't know. I, I could see, I Both. can see ways around that. Sure. All right. Okay. I love that. Just, We're working on each other's sculling. This is perfect. What a great <laughs> start to this episode. I can't wait. Okay. So, also, a previous owner claims that the Arnold Estate's resilience might be due to a more nefarious reason. Quote, Ooh. a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. Uh, Kim's eyes just sure. rolled super hard. <laughs> I, um, I mean, like... <sighs> These are the allegedly's, guys. These are, like, who does that? Who just says to themselves, like, I don't know, I'm Satan. I got nothing better to do today. I'm going to make a portal... I'm going to build myself a little home, a little farmhouse, make it look real cute. I mean, you don't know I what Satan's love, taste is like. No. Well, that's just it. I kind of love this <laughs> idea of like demons walking around being like, we need to build a portal, but we need to make it look 
appealing and cute. And then like some kind of little like house hunters for demons where they're just building and designing like cute little homes to entice human souls in. And then in the demon world, this is some kind of great like reality show. I'm here for this. Pitch I really it. want this. Pitch I'm going to pitch this. I need some I need some demons around, though, who are willing to join the design team. All right. So if you are a TV producer. Sure. And or a demon and would right. like to partake, you hit us up. You know where to find us. Hit us up. Um, but know. yeah, some people truly thought that there was like a non-human entity in this house. And sure. you could tell that there were some whispers in the neighborhood, hence leave the lights on, right? And this like yeah. weird historian dude coming in and telling you a story about yeah. a lady with a broken neck. Mm-hmm. So initial paranormal happening started off subtly. It wasn't super noticeable for the family. Uh-huh. The family noticed it. They acknowledged it. But they thought of it more as benevolent than anything. So they didn't really like do anything about it. They're like, eh. Yeah, somebody's here. They're not doing anything bad. We're just going to coexist. To be fair, I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. You know, like I know you would too. Be like, eh, all right. We're chill. We're hanging out. We're roomies. Chill ghosts are the best. Yeah. I I got one. I live with one. True. For now. (laughs) Just kidding. Chill for now. Not that you only live with it for now. (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't give her any ideas. Okay, I won't. So... Just to give you an idea of what, some of the things that would happen in the house, Carolyn would mm-hmm. notice random items in the house being out of place. You know when you mm. like put something somewhere and then you find it somewhere else, you're like, did I do that? Do I just have a bad memory? Did I leave that there? It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. She also would hear strange noises coming from different rooms. And the strangest thing was that after she would sweep the floor, she mm-hmm. would notice piles of dust on the area where she had just swept. Mm. So I mean, she actually just brushed that off. Yeah, I, <laughs> pun intended. In, indeed. <laughs> I don't know. Like I live where I live in the city, and with the way the air flows through my unit, that kind of shit happens. <laughs> like you dust something, and then like other dust gets blown on top. I don't know. It's but a pile of dust right after you swept—that's a little weird. Sure. Well, again, she children around too. She she brushed it off, so it, she didn't take it too seriously. Uh, yeah. You know, when they started to have guests over, the paranormal activity acted up. It was mm-hmm. noisier, and it actually would scare some guests off. So then they started noticing things a little bit more. Carolyn actually once saw the apparitions, like full-bodied apparitions, of two men sitting in the dining room table. One of them looked directly at her, and then pointed at her, so that the other That's guy. Rude could like look over and see her. And mm. Andrea, her daughter, joked that Carolyn was the ghost to the two men. Like all uh, the others. <laughs> um, okay. okay. Which I thought was kind of interesting and kind of cool, but I don't know how like this is all very alleged, right? So like yeah, yeah. there's that. Uh sure. also a very funny joke for you as a kid to make to your mom. Like, <laughs> you're the ghost. Like, I could see it being, like, a jokey, funny thing that a kid would oh, make to yeah. Parent. Yeah, totally. I feel like I've had a student make a similar joke to me, like, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> that would be very on brand, so I would yeah. not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> April, one of the other daughters, apparently made friends with the spirit in her closet who she claimed to be Oliver Richardson. So Mm -hmm. apparently there was actually a woman named Olive Richardson who died in 1867 and, but she wasn't buried like 
right there. She was buried like 10 miles away from there. So like, I feel like she died there. She did not die there. She just died in 1867. So there's no association with the literal place, but someone found the name of a woman that was very similar to Oliver Richardson. But the actual like context of an Oliver Richardson associated with that house does not exist. So here's a little taste of debunking before we've even gotten to it. But again, I'm just telling the story. This is just information that's out there. Sure. Now, according to the current site manager, apparently there is a little boy apparition who hangs out in April's old closet named Manny. (laughs) Where did Manny come from? It's a great ghost name. It's such a good ghost name, especially if like Oliver was the original name. Like, where did Manny come from? Um, But apparently he's been caught on a thermal camera before. But again, how do you know it's him? That's my whole thing. Yeah. Um, Now... Moving on from those couple little ghostly moments, eventually the whole family started to smell rotting flesh permeating the home. Ugh, gross. Yeah. yeah. Did they check to make sure there wasn't like rodents dead in the walls? That's a great question. I don't have the reference to say yes or no. Um, But apparently the stench would get really strong exactly at 5.15 in the morning every single day like clockwork. Which, to me, that's a little strange. It's not like a continuous smell all the time. Um, It was just at 5.15. And the parent children would actually be pulled and flung from their beds. Uh, Cindy was 14. And she actually saw a black mass hovering over Andrea's bed. And then moved away. The black mass moved away from Andrea. Grabbed Cindy by the ankles and dragged her down their bedroom stairs. Both of them saw it. So... That's sure. pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Carolyn was the one who was really attacked the most, and she was attacked a number of times. She would awaken with scratches on her body, and she actually mm-hmm. lost weight really rapidly during the time that they first moved in. Um, mm. And that's how affected that she was. She couldn't really eat. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actual audio evidence of an interview with her Um where she spoke to objects flying out of her closet that couldn't have been bumped or naturally moved. Mm -hmm. And at one point, a wooden coat hanger fell and banged her on the head five to six times. Mm -hmm. And Andrea saw it happen. Um, So she had someone that saw it, and it happened to her. And Andrea spoke to the experience as well. Hmm. So that's a little strange. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Andrea Perrin said that the most terrifying night of her life, end quote, was when her mom, Carolyn, was lying on the couch in the living room and she felt a sharp pain in her calf, which then caused her leg to spasm. And then she noticed a pool of blood around her injury. Uh What I think is funny here is like in the research I was reading, it said that she was looking for a bug that could have bit her or like a bee that could have stung her. But like, I've never heard of a bug causing anything to pool blood. (laughs) from it like that's seems kind no, of strange i mean I, like uh, there's bugs that'll bite where it'll leave like a little speck of blood or a dot of blood but I, like I, pool. I no but again i i do wonder how exaggerated it is how exaggerated that was if if like again like a, a bug bite or even again a rodent yeah i mean you if know the walls smell like dead animals and maybe there's yeah animals around. If if a rodent could have, like, you know, again, crawled up under the covers, you roll over, rodent bites you, um, and it would, that would let out a little more blood. Not like a pool of blood, but 
I, I do have to wonder if that is a, a detail that's been a wee bit exaggerated or not. Not to just, you know. No, that's fair. I, I feel the same way. And I just want you to remember that experience and put a pin in it. Pun intended. Okay. Um, you'll understand the pun when I get to it. Fair enough. So at that point, once that happened, Carolyn needed to find some help. She like couldn't deal with it anymore. It was too much. And the first people to actually investigate the home were demonologists Keith and his brother Carl Johnson, mm-hmm. who uh, were actually the ones who later called in Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm. And what's interesting here is that a lot of people only think that Ed and Lorraine Warren were the ones to investigate this house. And there mm-hmm. isn't a lot of like attention to these two dudes um, who actually got there first and did the first investigations. Mm-hmm. So in 1973, their group investigated with Carolyn's request And they said that uh, they felt a barrier when they arrived. This was um, in reference to the Harrisville Haunting, the true story Mm -hmm. documentary I was telling you about that was on Prime. They were featured in it and talked about their experience. Fun Uh fact, they were also on the Ghost Adventures episode, but I'll get to that in a sec. Um, (laughs) But they felt a barrier when they arrived and a weird atmosphere in the house and on the property, just like a permeating negative energy uh, that was sensed. And one of them said it didn't feel like human energy. So, sure. Um, Sure. According to Keith and Carl Johnson, Carolyn had seen a broken-necked figure in her bedroom at 5.15 a.m., and it chanted to her, quote, I'll drive you mad with fiery brooms. I'll drive you mad with death and gloom. I'll drive you out, but it will be too late. You'll be dead, end quote. And then it vanished. It's it's kind of an unfortunate rhyme scheme there. They sort of they didn't they didn't land it very well. They didn't stick that landing. That ain't no iambic pentameter, friend. No, no, it's I have notes. (laughs) I literally wrote in my notes, missed opportunity with that rhyming pattern, am I right? (laughs) So really glad we're on the same page there. (laughs) But it's just You'll be dead. <laughs> I think it's really you funny. Will like, be dead. I don't know. I feel like if I was in that situation and I saw a broken necked lady, I'd just be freaked out. But then if she started to chant and then didn't rhyme and end it, I might like I'd giggle. Just like laugh and tilt my head like, wait, what? Like you could have done that differently. There's a lot of different ways because <laughs> we I want to take it to the people. Like, end that poem better. That's um, a challenge, y'all. We have feedback for this ghost. Uh, so we have notes. <laughs> I have notes. We have notes. I've, ghost I've notes. written them in red pen. Uh, like thank blood. you. Like blood. So apparently when that happened and they got some weird evidence. 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 Um, allegedly the Johnson brothers bit off more than they could chew, so they sought out Ed and Lorraine Warren in 1974 to help. And, you know... We haven't really talked in depth about Ed and Lorraine Warren in the past, and I don't want to get too deep into it now because that's not what this topic is. Right. It's its own kind of thing. That's a whole (laughs) other episode. Mm -hmm. But I do want to just give a little bit of context. So for those who don't know who they are, Ed and Lorraine Warren were the pioneers of the paranormal. They were some of the first people to, like, publicly research and like publish stuff about paranormal things. So they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952 and were considered in the United States the most famous paranormal investigators at the time. And to this day, locally here, I know there were some others in the UK and in other areas, but for the US, they they were the most well-known people. Unfortunately, they both have passed at this point. Um, But you know, 
However questionable some of their approaches may have been, they are still really well known. Um, They investigated some really famous spots. You may have known them from the Amityville Horror House. We've covered Amityville before. Mm -hmm. Um, The classic Annabelle Higgins story. And there's a bunch of others that are not necessarily as well known. I don't want to get into it now, but obviously The Conjuring really is one of the main ones that people know them for as well. So Ed was a paranormal investigator and allegedly the only non-ordained demonologist that was recognized by the Catholic Church, while his wife, Lorraine, was a psychic medium clairvoyant. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Warrens were convinced that um, Bathsheba Sherman, a former neighbor of the Arnold estate, was the one causing the injury to Carolyn and the paranormal influence in the house. We're going to put a pin in Bathsheba as well, uh, also pun intended, but dive into it in just a bit. And I kind of understand where she even came from in this legendy Lori situation. But according to Andrea Perrin, the first mention of Bathsheba was from Lorraine Warren when she first viewed the home, claiming that she was the one haunting the family and causing mischief. Hmm. However... It literally talks about Carolyn being the first person talking about Bathsheba before, uh, you know, the the Warrens even got there in her book. So there's Uh that's a good example of some like conflicting information. Uh We'll get to that later. But let's talk a little bit about who this Bathsheba was, according to this legend, because there is this is like where that gray area starts of like what actually happened and what didn't. Um, So Bathsheba Sherman was born in 1812. She lived on the farm next door with her husband, Judson. And actually some say she lived on the property where the Harrisville house currently resides or currently stands. Again, depends on where you look and where you get your information. Um, The legend states that an infant died mysteriously while in her care, allegedly stabbed in the base of the skull with a large sewing needle and Mm. caused people in her area to be suspicious of her being a witch. Hence, put a pin in it, come back to it later. Bad Uh pun. Um, But of course, the townspeople assume that she was murdering this baby as a sacrifice to the devil because Satan wants dead babies with his perfect farmhouse. Um, So allegedly, Bathsheba's name was legally cleared when this happened when she was alive, even though there's actually no evidence of a court case charging her with anything to begin with. And this is like where things start to get interesting, which we'll get into like the deets of the Bathsheba debunking in a moment. I just want to continue the story of what happened first. So Bathsheba died in 1885 and some legends claim that her body, quote, literally turned into stone, end quote, upon her death. Others claim that she died of a bizarre form of paralysis. Honestly, it was probably some form of stroke that she died Mm, from. Yeah. Some kind of neurological. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But we like to be dramatic especially in storytelling. So um, back to the Warrens, back to the story. Lorraine Uh Warren claimed that even though Bathsheba was cleared from charges in life, she believed that Carolyn's tiny stab wound that had that pool of blood was caused by being stabbed with the the sewing needle that Bathsheba brought into the afterlife. Sure. <laughs> that's, that's, it's, on that is this like no? Is this like Survivor where you get to bring one item with you when you die? You get to bring one item with you, and she's like, "I would like that sewing needle, please." Give me the needle. Thank you. I want to poke people in life. I want to poke people. There's nothing scarier than a little poke and a lot of blood. 
And a lot of blood. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the Warrens claim that the best way to communicate with Bathsheba was with the use of a seance, which Roger... Ooh. Oh, yeah. Woo. It's real spooky. But Roger was not stoked about this seance. He was very much against doing it. Okay. Um, the Warrens wanted to use Carolyn as a conduit to communicate with whatever was there, this Bathsheba person that they allegedly think is causing this trouble there, um, because Carolyn was the one that was the most affected. So, of course, use her as the conduit. Sure. So the only thing that got Roger to agree to doing this um, seance was because um, Ed was a non-ordained demonologist approved by the Catholic Church, and... So he finally agreed to do it. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but there was actually an additional spiritual medium there. It wasn't just Ed and Lorraine. And they had a whole slew of people that they had brought in to capture everything that was going on. Um, and this spiritual medium was the one who started conjuring the spirits, which is where the name The Conjuring came from in the movie. Um, and when she started conjuring them, she collapsed unconscious on the table the table rose up and then slammed back down on the floor. During the seance, the parents made sure that their kids were not involved. They told them to stay upstairs, but pfft, do kids uh -huh. listen? Kim, no. Kim, do kids listen? No, never. So Ever. Never. So, of course, Andrea and Cindy are like, yeah, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to sneak out and I'm going to watch. So they're watching. And according to Andrea's firsthand experience, once the seance started, she, quote, thought she was going to pass out. Her mother began to speak a language not of this world in a voice not her own. Her sure. chair levitated. A power not of this world threw her 20 feet into the other room, end quote. What does that sound like to you? What does that remind a, you of? A power not of this world chucking people around? I thought it reminded me a little bit about the Enfield poltergeist with the voice. because Oh, sure. I mean, those are all pretty common, like... Poltergeisty, paranormal, demony. Uh, I really love. <clears throat> I really love throwing the Y on everything. <laughs> Just demony and poltergeisty. Poltergeisty, demony. I, I mean, like yes, Enfield, absolutely. But it's Crazy. it's all of these are pretty. Let's say like run of the mill, but like <laughs> it, it's all it's all fits under the kinds of things that get reported when you're dealing with a quote unquote haunting of this magnitude. On brand, if you will. Yes. So. Everyone in the house thought that Carolyn was dead. Like she did, she looked lifeless. And Roger eventually revived her and was like stressed the fuck out. Excuse my French, but like really stressed out, understandably. Now, as he's trying to revive her, Ed tells Roger, don't touch her. You're not supposed to touch the possessed. Roger loses it. He's like, don't tell me what to do. Like, can you imagine? Like, if you're Roger, these people come into your house. Your wife looks like she's dead after being, like, thrown across a room. And someone's going to tell you not to touch her? Like, I don't blame him for losing it, right? Yeah, that's rude. <laughs> totally rude. And so, of course... Um, he tells the Warrens to leave, which is a really nice way of putting it. Um, literally, physically threw Ed out of the house. Um, but who hasn't wanted to do that at least once? Amen. Um, Roger Perrin said of his wife that night, quote, she was possessed. Her entire body was distorted and it lasted several hours until they de-demonized her. And then I threw him out. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> 
demonized. As funny as I do, but I smile. Like funny. De- de- demonized. I'm just de- demonized. De- demonized. I feel like to that should be, be a song. De- demonized. Okay, if you can de- demonize someone, would they just be monized? Monetized. <laughs> they become monetized. You just make a lot of money off of them. Um, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Hey, really bringing the stupid dad humor. Um, Carolyn agreed with her husband when he said, quote, the Warrens tried to help, but we essentially found things got worse around them, end quote. In an interview with USA Today in 2013, Lorraine Warren stated, quote, the things that went on there were just incredibly frightening. It still affects me to talk about it today, end quote. Ed Warren said, quote, in this case, I do not believe that any exorcism, any ritual of religious nature or anyone could ever clear that home of the very negative spirits involved in it. We have both human and inhuman spirits in this home, which are bringing about these destructive acts, end quote. Sidebar. Bummer. (laughs) Right. Sidebar. This somewhat brings up the issue of bringing up or bringing a well-known group like the Warrens to a place that can gain publicity due to visibility and the way the story is told. Andyville. Yep. Who did that? Like, why are they all so famous? Like we could go down the biggest rabbit hole of all time and talk about this forever. I know we could. Um, But it makes me question, did the (gasps) Warrens actually make things worse intentionally to try to make themselves look more credible? Or were they genuinely trying to help and not intend to make matters worse? And was uh, everything even, like, legitimate that they were reporting? Like, so many questions, Kim. I what mean, do you think? <clears throat> what I will say, <laughs> um, what I will say, and, and I uh, believe that um i mean again cuz i've 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 done two episodes now that have had the warrens involved in some capacity um although i will say with the enfield haunting specifically they were very much not involved um there were uh and with the Enfield, there was there was an account of of Ed Warren saying something to to someone involved about how like no 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 you've got to milk this and make it worse to make it uh, and I, I I can look up the actual to get quote, publicity to get publicity and there was also a similar thing with uh, Amityville where. I think it was one of the attorneys for um, DeFeo, I think, that that said, like, you know, it was every it, everything they said was made up. Like, I there, there's there's been a, I, again, I without notes in front of me to pull sure. up some exact quotes. I, I, I realize this is a little bit scattered, but there's been multiple documented cases of them being fraudulent and and. It's not to say uh, it's hard to because again, Ed and Lorraine Warren are are very problematic people. Mm. Yes, we weren't going to um, necessarily go there, but we, there's lots we, and, of and, and we're not yeah. going to because that's not the point of this episode. Right. But um, a lot of things have come up 
particularly the past like decade or two, particularly since Lorraine died very recently. She's died mm-hmm. within what the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been there's been more things coming up to suggest that there was uh, a, a number of foul play, if you will, foul play, like not just things related to fraud or the paranormal. Now. Does this mean that that everything they ever did was completely fraudulent? No. Sure. Does it mean that they were still, I mean, the same way, like, my God, do I think that every single Ghost Hunter show, or even like Zach Baggins for I that matter. I was just going like, to say, Zach Baggins is a perfect example of that. It, it, it doesn't mean that there's not real things happening. For me, the problem is when we know for a fact that some of it is being exaggerated or or allegedly faked or whatever it it brings your entire reputation it, it makes your entire reputation less credible so anything that may actually be true is a lot harder to believe because there's been so many things that haven't been so i i when it with the warrens i I don't want to say that every single thing they've ever been involved in was not based in in something or or that they, especially earlier in their career, maybe genuinely were doing things. I think at some point when they were really making money from this, yeah, there's stuff that got exaggerated. There's things that, I mean, the the, the whole werewolf thing, like, this is a whole Rabbit other episode. Hole. I'm so. telling you. Yeah, no, it's in it. It's to your point. It's it's a hard thing to kind of like talk around. Right. Um. But I, I I will just say that um, I am automatically skeptical of anything I know they were involved in because of documented cases of them doing some less than legitimate practices. Now, again, that does that negate every single thing they've ever done? No. But does it make me... Question? Question, and I can't take any story as fact or face value, I, you have to question everything, which is why we're here, <laughs> which is Welcome. why we're here. So I apologize. I got no, a little long winded. That's there, perfect. And you know, what's, what's so interesting is that after, after the Warrens left, after uh-huh. it was kicked physically out of the house, <laughs> there were no more malevolent incidents ever, really? ever. Interesting. Andrea stated that they quote, accepted the fact that they were not living there alone and quote, again, kind of like what it was like before the Warrens got there. And, quote, lived there pretty happily most of the time, end quote, until they moved out in 1980. Now, there is another account. And to speak to credibility, and we'll, again, I'm, this is not one I wanted to talk about this because we're going to talk about it in a sec. Um, actually, this is a perfect segue into this now that I think about it, is that a lot of the information that we have about this case comes from the people who experienced it. For example, Andrea publishing the books that she published with the accounts of her family who went through it themselves. This is very similar to the bell witch that we did a really long time ago where they Mm -hmm. documented everything in journals, but it was a little different because back then people didn't like publish things to make money. And that was a journal found in someone's attic. It wasn't done for the sake of publicity. It was literally just, notes that someone took and left in a book, which is a very different intent than someone publishing something, right? So like, what I question too, is there's actually in one of the documentaries, um, Andrea says something along the lines of, we left in 1980, because my mom said, I can't do this anymore. 
Like, I can't live with this anymore. What does that even mean? Does that mean that that was malevolent against her? Or was she just sick of having a ghost around? You know, like, there's questions. I have questions. I have so many have questions. questions. Um, so now let's get to the good part. Debunking, shall we? Let's debunk. So I was debating, do we talk about all the ghost shows and the hauntings and all the, the, the reports first? Or do we talk about the debunking of the history first? But since we just went through the story, I think it's important to speak to people within the story and sure. what their involvement actually looked like. So whenever we talk about hauntings, it's always important to discuss who could be haunting the place, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So let's talk actual historical deaths that were associated potentially with the location. It's also important to note that all of the wars that this particular land experienced happened, right? Before right. the house yeah. was even built, during the house being built. Um, sure. And that could have left an imprint also. In addition to the Revolutionary and the Civil Wars, King Philip's War took place in that exact area mm -hmm. from 1675 to 1678. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mispronounce this. I apologize. The Narragansett and the Wampanoag tribes fought a war with colonists uh -huh. and thousands uh -huh. of people died in this yeah. exact spot. So, like, yeah. again, there could be lots of dead people that we're not identifying sure. that could be hanging around. Mm. Again, hanging around, hanging around, pun intended. Uh, there, there's a misreporting of the deaths on the property. Depending on your resource, it's different information. So for this one, I'm going to reference our friend Kenny from the Skeptical Inquirer, uh, and we're going to play a game of is this person haunting the Conjuring house or not? Meaning, batshit, yes, it's haunting, or bullshit, sure. no, it's not. Sure. So this is our game of batshit or bullshit. Thank you for the title, Kim. You're welcome. So let's start with Mrs. John Arnold. In her book, House of Darkness, House of Light, Volume 1, Perrin writes Mrs. John Arnold and her apparent hanging suicide at the farmhouse, saying that Mrs. John Arnold decided to claim her life at the age of 93 and was discovered cold and gray, as stiff as the wood from which she was found dangling in the rafters of a barn, end quote. Then describes an experience that her mother, Carolyn, while in the barn, had, where a hand scythe that had been hanging on the beam had come down off its perch by itself and was witnessed spinning while hovering midair. <laughs> After a few moments, the scythe came down toward Carolyn, striking her neck and shoulder. Luckily, Carolyn was wearing a heavy leather jacket and, took, and that took the brunt of the blow. Andrea writes, quote, years later, Carolyn would learn of Mrs. John Arnold, the woman who died by her own hand, found hanging in the barn on precisely the same beam from which the scythe had fallen. End quote. I'm sorry. That seems way too convenient. <laughs> it always does. This is the same broken-necked woman who some tend to see in the home that the neighbor historian seemed to warn the whole family about. This is who we're talking about. This is the lady who hung. But I have questions. Where did Andrea get this information from? Like, what? Where did you get this? So, okay, our friend Kenny did some digging. Let's take a deeper look. There is a book. It's called The Black Book of Burlville. It's a macabre uh -huh. book listing unusual deaths in the Burlville area, like murders, suicides, poisonings, what have you. You would yeah. buy this book, Kim. Um, I'm there, familiar. Yeah, there's an entry for a Susan Arnold mm -hmm. under the heading Suicide by Hanging. Uh, uh, April 13th, 1866. Uh -huh. uh, she was 50 years old, though. And yeah. in her attic home, she was the wife of John Arnold. This is the wrong age yeah. from what is reported. 
It's most likely the source of the Mrs. John Arnold hanging account, although the year is wrong. The age is wrong. Um, but she wasn't the only Mrs. John Arnold that existed. There were actually two others. One <laughs> died of old age and was actually 93, but like didn't hang herself. She just was old and died. Um, and then the <laughs> other one, um, and also when she died, it was three years after the 1866 date. So it wasn't the right year. And right. then there was another one named Susan Richard Arnold. Um, and her obituary stated that she was the wife of John um, and it was dated 1866. It describes Susan's death. Her husband had been ascending the stairs and found a storeroom locked. Thinking something was wrong, he went through the window into a shed roof and into another window and there found his wife suspended from a wardrobe hook with a very small cord. It goes on to explain that Susan also had a loaded gun, a dirk knife, and a file of mercury in the room with her. That is commitment. <laughs> it's like, if one thing isn't going to work, I got backups. She also had laid out clothes for her funeral in another room, Aww, which like is lady. very sad, but also like yeah. how considerate. Um, Susan's uh, Susan Arnold's suicide also appeared in the April 18th, 1866 edition of the Evening Star. So there's like documented stuff about her. So these obituaries describe this woman listed in the Black Book of Burville and confirm, yes, yeah, something like this did happen. The age is wrong. The year is wrong. And then the worst part is that if we look at the first John or Mrs. John Arnold that did commit suicide by hanging, right. she didn't do it in the barn of the Harrisville farmhouse. She actually did it in a store, storeroom in her own house, which was in, um, it was on Harrisville Road. So on the same name of a road as the house, but in District 1 versus in District 6, which is where the Harrisville farm house is. So it's several miles away. It's not even located anywhere near it. Right. Um, the other thing, too, is that Susan Arnold wasn't a member of the same Arnold family that actually was associated with the Harrisville farmhouse or its barn. So who was the broken <laughs> neck woman? We call it a <laughs> bat shit or bullshit. What do you think? Uh, I think this is an instance, and we've seen this before, of, of multiple stories being combined into mm -hmm. a convenient ghost story. So there's truth to what's being said. It's just not the... The, the, the truth is different than the legend, as it often is. So would you say it's bullshit, then? Uh, I mean, I don't think the, the facts of... Um, well, not the facts of the people that died. I'm talking about the ghost story that's associated with the place doesn't have like a true. I think basis. The, the ghost story has been twisted by these other stories. Absolutely. That were not associated at all with the house. Correct. I'm going to say. But again, <laughs> but, uh, but like, again, to your point, it's it's that one. We've seen this before with some of our other haunted episodes. We did it with the um, the Empress Hotel, where mm -hmm. there's there's basis in fact. It's just probably like local lore. People talked about these bizarre cases, and the fact that again, the the one um, Susan Arnold specifically being listed in this book. Um, it was probably cases that got got talked about, and then as the stuff started happening the reporting of it just started to meld together. The, and the that's the problem. Telephone. It's telephone. Yeah. Again, it's, 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 so I don't want to say like it's, it's bullshit, but it's also not bullshit. It's, okay. it's telephone. 
Do you know All what right, I mean? So we can have a third option then. It'll be batshit yeah. bullshit or telephone. Because <laughs> to me, bullshit is like there's no records of anything. There's no this was complete and other. There's nothing so here. This is more skewed. This is skewed. I see how they got there. It's incorrect. The story, the legend part, the ghost story part is not correct to fact, but I see the lot. It's tracing those lines back and sure. being like, ah, this is how we got to this point from these stories. Sure. So we have more. There's also the John Arnold, her husband. Yes. And according to Andrea Perrin's books, he, quote, made the same critical decision to take his own life in the eaves of the house where he remains, end quote. Sure. Referring to the farmhouse and suggesting right. that he killed himself, um, which in his obituary <laughs> from the Pascog Herald dated in 1911, quote, for several years he had not been in good health and latterly became despondent. In a fit of despondency, he took a dose of Paris green and the efforts of a physician to save his life was unavailing, end quote. In case you don't know what Paris green is, it's a highly toxic crystalline powder that was used yeah. as like a pigment in paints and wallpaper and fabrics, things like that. Um, so uh, yeah, he, he did take his own life. Did he mean to maybe, maybe not. And like, yes. I mean, yeah, but also yes, he, he did. Yeah. He but also I was mean, sick. Again, he was it, ill. He had been ill and he had been in, in pain. Like there's, there's, but yeah, no, that's, you don't accidentally do that. <laughs> Fair. So, but it's also, so even if he did take his own life, he didn't do it in the house. <laughs> right. So I'm going to say that's debunked. Uh, that's just me. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think? I think like the previous story, it's, it's, yes, this is the, the root of the story is the facts of the story do not match the ghost stories or the skewed story that is then being reported. However, there is one that I think is funny. Um, and I think we're as we're far away from it now, so we can joke about it. Also okay. the name Jarvis Smith. Oh, yeah, I know this one. Jarvis. <laughs> he just got wasted and, like, passed out in a shed on the Arnold property that the shed is not there anymore. And he froze to death overnight at, when he passed out wasted in the shed. Um, that's the like only... You do. Like Like one does. Um, hopefully... Wasn't, he was, like, missing for a while, too, wasn't he? He was. And like, then, they didn't find him for a long time. So, apparently, there was also another person associated freezing to death in that area and they it was really like blown out of proportion to the point of like everything else we're talking about same kind of way saying that there were mysterious deaths involving people freezing to death one was edwin arnold and one was jarvis smith so perrin actually mentions both of them in her books um and neither man it says that they all died underneath a blacksmith shop in the house, which I didn't even sure. know there was a blacksmith shop in the house. Neither of them died underneath a blacksmith shop. And, um, you know, dying from freezing to death sucks, but it's not really mysterious. It's pretty obvious as to why someone <laughs> dies from freezing to death. It's because yeah. it's too cold and you're outside. It's, like, it's cold. It's common sense. And so you don't do that. And you did it because you're wasted. Like, this is an ex a very easily explained death, right? I would say that's not as scary. It's it is what it is. It's like things that happen on properties, I guess. You know, such as life or and death. things that happen when you get drunk. Just be mindful, friends, when you drink yeah. and you go outside. Wear a jacket. Wear a jacket. Don't fall asleep in a shed. Yeah. Um, but life yeah, lessons. I, life lessons. We give you those on Ghoulish Tendencies. 
Now, there's also Prudence Arnold, which this is a sad one. And heads up, uh, the next like 30 seconds, I'm going to be talking about uh, sexual abuse, rape, death, murder. So if you don't want to hear that, fast forward the next like 30 seconds or so. Um, but uh, in her book, Perrin writes about Prudence Arnold having, quote, been raped and murdered by a local farmhand who then took his own life. Now, uh. this is disturbing. Prudence was 11. William Aww. E. Knowlton was 22. He followed her up to the second floor of her home and cut her throat with a straight razor, which nearly decapitated her. Oh, jeez. This is actually something that actually happened. There was actually a jury of inquest that was held on January 31st, 1849. It was uh. discovered that Knowlton killed her, quote, out of love and jealousy, end quote, when she refused to marry him, as uh. she had allegedly promised four months prior, which also 11. 11. 11. Um, now, here's the thing about this one is that even though this is a terrible situation and an awful story, it's actually referred to as the Uxbridge, Uxbridge, Uxbridge tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uxbridge is a place. It's in Massachusetts. It's not in Rhode Island. It's not at this farmhouse. Right. It's about, actually like nine miles northeast of the Harrisville farmhouse. Oh. And it did happen. Um, Prudence later (laughs) says in her uh, book, Prudence wasn't murdered at the farmhouse, but her spirit returned home after death, at least part of the time. Sure. Really? (laughs) Like, I read that, I was like, this is just reaching. Absolutely (laughs) reaching. Um, And what's actually, like, there's, this is, again, a good example of, like, what, Andrea is publishing, like, where is she getting this information from and why is it changing? Like, literally, as she's writing books, there's information that changes. I'm curious, does she, because uh, it's also been a hot second since I read, I only read the first book that she wrote. Um, does she cite sources? No. Well, there it is. And that's one of the points that I was going to make as we talked about it. But the story is actually mentioned in many publications with Andrea's story. Wherever she talks about this particular thing, she says it this way, that this girl was raped and murdered and that Uh the guy killed himself with a straight razor. But there's no, not one report anywhere else outside of what she claims that this girl was raped. There's only a report of a murder. And Uh on top of it, Testimony given during the jury of inquest, which included the local coroner, Aaron Burden, Uh lacks, there's no reference to any murder from that at all. And apparently her murderer, the the dude who killed her, tried to commit suicide with the same razor, but it was so dull that he just gave himself a really bad self-inflicted wound and was, he lived and went to jail in Worcester. So he didn't even die. He's still living. He just went to jail for murdering somebody. Lord. And there's like actual like <laughs> evidence of this. Like there's documented evidence of this. So it to me, what it looks like, and to our friend Kenny, who wrote this article, uh-huh. is that somebody didn't do their due diligence with research. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, this brings us to back to our friend Bathsheba, the Bathsheba. ultimate debunked case. So Bathsheba Sherbin, according uh-huh. to both The Conjuring film and the books authored by Andrea Perrin, Bathsheba is portrayed as an evil Satan-worshipping witch who sacrificed My a kind baby. Of girl. 
by impaling a sewing needle into the base of its skull, as we talked about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. She is described as, quote, bitter, vindictive, hateful, and unholy, quote, by Mr. McCurchin, our friend who we don't know if he even existed, who claimed by f- firsthand knowledge that Bathsheba would starve and beat her staff, yet she was ravishingly beautiful in youth. How did you know this, sir? Um, In truth, there are very few records about Bathsheba Sherman, um, including a few census records, her obituary. Guess what? I found it. Um, Nice. And her will. But there's no birth or death certificate because back then they didn't really issue those at the time. So let's go back to this guy, Mr. McCurchin. He was a figure whose existence uh, is thought to be a potential fabrication. Um, if you do the math, he would have been at least 85 years old in 1971 when, when the parents got the house. Mm. Um, if he were born when Bathsheba died in 1885, he would be like in his 90s by the chance that he could have firsthand knowledge of Bathsheba. Mm. How reliable is a 90-year-old person with information who might have cognitive issues? I don't know. People have cognitive issues as they get older. I am torn on this one, and here's why. <laughs> okay. My grandmother, in like a week, is going to be 101. Girl might need to use a walker, <laughs> but, but her marbles she's are all there. sharp. It's kind of gross. Uh, like, she remembers shit better than I do sometimes. She can't hear, but her mind is 100% intact. Fair. So it's possible. We're not. So it's. I, I'm not saying that it, it. That that's the case here. I'm just saying, it is possible to be elderly and have your marbles intact. So it's possible that this guy existed, but we don't really have any like proof that he did. Exactly, and that's a, a bigger thing. issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the <laughs> issue to argue. Yeah. Um, so. Now, going back to our friend Andrea and her book, in part one, she associates Bathsheba with the Arnold family. And living and working on the farm. And then there's also other resources that say that Bathsheba was actually a neighbor and didn't live on that property. So there's, again, conflicting information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Bathsheba Sherman was uh, the daughter of Ephraim Thayer and Hannah Taft. So she was actually a Thayer, not an Arnold. So she didn't okay. belong to the Arnold family. And she married Judson Sherman, then mm. became a Sherman, um, and lived on the Sherman farm for the rest of her days. Uh, like I said before, she died May 25th, 1885 of probably a stroke. Uh-huh. But like if you look into her life, she was someone who didn't really seem like she would have been considered a witch. She was actually a member of the Harrisville pa- Baptist Church. Oh. Um, she had a prosperous farm with her husband. There was literally no evidence that she even killed a baby or was thought of as a witch anywhere. None of this stuff was even mentioned in her obituary. And back in the day, people would put everything in an obituary. So oh, sure. if somebody killed a baby yeah. or did something witchy, witch-like, would probably be in an obituary. So Kim, I don't know if they'd put killed baby in obituary, <laughs> but I imagine there would have been an article about the fact... Or there would have been a record, like if if she murdered she a baby, then she would have been charged with something. Yeah, yeah. I, I I disagree that that would have some would have been something that like popped up in her obituary unless she was actively in prison. Um, I mean, you know, known baby murderer dies is sure. not something you generally see in in. Do you want to hear obituaries. her obituary? Because I found it. 
Sure. All right. Bathsheba, a widow of the late Judson Sherman, died at her late residence on Monday morning last from a sudden attack of paralysis, aged 72 years. The funeral services were held on Thursday, Reverend A.H. Granger officiating, and the internment took place at Riverside Cemetery, Harrisville. She was the last member of the Thayer family, once numerous and well-known in this town. Her son, Herbert Sherman, what a name, Herbert Sherber, sorry. Herbert Sherber. <laughs> Herbert Sherber. Herbert Sherman being the only near relative remaining, end quote. Also, if she was a witch, do you think they would have buried her in a Baptist cemetery? No, no. That's just it. Like, well, and that's where I kind of come back to is is that if, if she was a witch and was a pariah, then none of this would have been. She wasn't. A, she wouldn't have been a respected member of society right. who gets a burial and has services. If if she did the things that she did, this would not have been what was said of her. Right. So, great point. Remember that. Lorraine Warren is often credited as being the first to name Bathsheba as a witch, like we talked about earlier, and the mm-hmm. demonic entity air quotes sure um, haunting the farmhouse. Uh, allegedly getting it through a psychic vision. But in Andrea's book, she claims that her mom, Carolyn, is the first one who pointed a finger at Bathsheba as a source of evil, which we talked about earlier, too. Uh If you watch the Ghost Adventures episode, Andrea's in it. She's in it. I had to watch it because, honestly, what made me want to watch it were the people that were in it that were not a part of the Ghost Adventures crew. Sure, 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 Um, sure. It was the people who currently, or not currently, but, like, back then owned... The Conjuring House, it was Andrea Perrin herself. It was Keith and Carl Johnson, who actually did the investigation with the team, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, but in the interview that Zach Bagans does with Andrea, she literally says Lorraine Warren was the one who first mentioned Bathsheba in this house. Uh. So she is contradicting what she has written in her books. Left and right, yeah. It's all over the place. So, like, that makes me question credibility, like what you were uh-huh. saying. And if we go back to and look at Burlville, that's where Bathsheba lived. Uh-huh. It was incorporated as an independent municipality on November 17th, 1806, eight years before Bathsheba was born. So... Any crimes she would have committed in Burville would have been documented in the Burville town records, to your point, Kim. Not in the archives of the village of Chepachet, which is the town in Gloucester. I can't say the names. I'm so sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> the names in this are very fun. Um, the other weird thing, too, is that um, Carolyn actually kept a notebook that people couldn't find, apparently, later. She blamed it on the fact that the, the Warrens allegedly had it, and then they said they didn't have it. And any records that Carolyn would have found and copied into her notebook would have shown something having to do with the death of an infant, and she didn't have that. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was really difficult for investigators to verify that that even happened. So basically, despite the extensive research, there's no records. And um, apparently... In a brief conversation with the author of this resource that I'm talking about, Kenny, Perrin could not clarify her sources. Mm. He questioned where she got her information from, and she could not say where she got it from. Mm. Hello, red flags, right? Yeah. 
So by the third volume of her series, now she's shifted her stance, acknowledges that, quote, there are no records to support the rumors about Bathsheba, end quote, but still keeps the rumors alive in her story. Hmm. More red flags. So, you know, I feel like it's an attempt to convince her readers that she now defends Bathsheba's reputations, but now blames Lorraine Warren for naming Bathsheba. And then that kind of reiterates why she would blame Lorraine Warren in Ghost Adventures. So eh, all of this is shady shit, in my opinion. So she eventually shifts focus from Bathsheba to Mrs. Uh, John Arnold or Susan as the main evil entity. Who we have seen nothing to do with the farmhouse to begin with, based on everything we just found. Mm-hmm. I have a fun quote for you. Oh, I love a good fun this quote. This is from Kenny Biddle himself. Okay. Quote, if Perrin had done proper research from the beginning, she could mm-hmm. have avoided being the one who ultimately destroyed Bathsheba's reputation. She would have discovered for herself that there are absolutely no historical documents in existence that attribute Bathsheba Sherbin to being a witch or murdering a child or being investigated for anything criminal whatsoever. Now, sidebar. These books that Andrea Perrin wrote that we've been talking about had a scathing review from our friend Kenny Biddle as mm. many others who have read them as well. We talked about how it might have needed an editor at some point. You know, self-published is a little bit of a different story. Another fun quote from him. The books mm-hmm. are fluffed up beyond the point of most romance novels. Ooh. Often using several <laughs> paragraphs to repeat the same thing while using multiple cliches. I found myself rolling my eyes and repeatedly thinking, come on, get to the point already. Ouch. I have little doubt that without the heavy padding, the information from all three volumes could have easily fit into one book, saving the reader time and the expense of two additional volumes. I have quite a few issues with these books, one being that the author enjoys skipping back and forth through the timeline rather than laying out the story in a linear fashion. I found this approach confusing and irritating, especially with future events often being mixed in with past events, leaving the reader to wonder when things actually took place. Another issue is the creative license taken with many of the events Perrin describes, providing detailed accounts some 40 years after the fact. In this opening chapter titled Prologue and Prayer, Andrea states, quote, it matters that this tale be told with honesty and integrity end quote, with the last paragraph of the same section stating, quote, the parent family requested this tale of darkness and light be told honestly. It contains no embellishment, merely a modicum of literary license regarding dialogue, though some is quite precise, end quote. First, I truly believe she does not understand the definition of modicum, which means a small portion. Second, even taking a little creative licensing, with dialogue as an embellishment. Perrin provides dialogue for a great many conversations and experiences for which she was not a participant, often having been to another location entirely. She describes with great detail events that occurred to other people that were alone when the experiences took place. To say Perrin embellished, quote, a few things would be a gross understatement, end quote. Mm. So how old was Andrea when her family moved there i believe she was probably 12 and then turned 13 in the time that they like moved and got established there i mean because again that's that's very young and i wonder if if some of the even like the contradictions she's remembering because like it's it's hard when you're that age like was i there for this or did i hear about it and i'm remembering it as though as i was there do you know what I mean? 
and and even just some of the contradictory information like i do have to wonder how much of this she genuinely believes cuz we encountered this with with one of the amityville kids where mm-hmm. he very much believes all of this happened but he was so young and it's it's really confusing when you're that young and yeah. that is young that is that you're is easily, very very young very easily influenced at that age mm-hmm. and also like that sticks with you that's a really like developmental period of time mm-hmm. um especially as a teenager like i remember being 12 and 13 and whew, that's time yeah. you know like i, and I your feel brains like, are forming and developing like and this is yeah. not to discredit anything that they experienced or went through it's Absolutely. just like the information given about the why doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be very well thought out. Yeah. So, you know, sit with that for a sec. So yeah. that, you know, the book came out in like 2011, mm-hmm. 2012. In 2013, attention was brought to the house again with the release of The Conjuring film on July 19th. Fun fact, Lorraine Warren acted as a consultant to the director, James Wan, and the filmmakers. And she even mm-hmm. visited Wilmington, North Carolina, on the set and the lot of the Gem Studios. So she was involved, which is kind of cool. Uh, the film itself was mostly inspired, obviously, by her and her husband's case. And the entire parent family also put their support behind the film, which made me feel kind of good because then I know that they were involved and it's not like a situation like, you know, other cases that are covered and they don't get permission from the family. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, they already had supported their daughter, uh, Andrea, in her publication of her book. So this was another way to kind of get some visibility. Like Lorraine, uh, various members of the family who were actually friends with the producer, Tony DeRosa Grund, and they mm-hmm. all also visited the set, too. What I think is nuts, though, is like we talked about the melding of all the like ghost stories and hauntings and all that. And the fact that like the Conjuring movie literally took every single haunted story associated with the place and just made it one. Like literally it shows Bathsheba as the lady that's hanging from the tree. And it's like Mrs. Arnold and Bathsheba had a baby and now that's who it is. That's Um, who it is. Yeah. But also demon. So, you know. Let's throw that in there for funsies. Demons can be whatever they want. So Andrea Perrin said, It was the conjuring that brought our truth to light and gave me the opportunity to tell the world that, yes, the truth is stranger than fiction, end quote. So this brought a lot of attention to the house. Obviously, people are going to go there. Yeah. I would want to go there. I wouldn't mind checking it out. Um, Totes. So it didn't just stir up tourist activity, but brought a whole new type of interest into the real estate realm. Uh, paranormal investigators Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, um, they were really interested in the farmhouse and actually purchased it from Norma Sutcliffe in 2019. Mm-hmm. And according to several interviews, Corey fell in love with it after visiting the house before it had gone up for sale. And he said, quote, it's a piece of paranormal history, end quote. And he and his family have had their own set of experiences while living there. He says that doors opening and closing on their own is common. Footsteps knocking, the disembodied voices, and a black mist that looks like smoke gathers in one area and then it'll move, end quote. Hmm. That's interesting. It's also Uh important to note Norma Sutcliffe. She's the one who owned the house from 1987 until 2019. Not once did she ever claim to have a paranormal experience. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, In an email conversation, Sutcliffe said, quote, I never said I believed in ghosts, but did remark on some sounds, which, of course, could be explained by natural causes, end quote. It's an old house. It's old. Funny story. While she lived in the house, she Uh opened 
and operated a daycare inside the farmhouse for 20 years. So, like, interesting. Think about that. Like, <laughs> this is supposed to be this like wildly haunted demonic house. You have a daycare for twenty years operating yeah. inside of it. Yeah. It's a demon-infested portal to hell, and you bring a bunch of kids there. Uh, I mean, I would. To be fair, you know, that would be on brand. Um, She also apparently ran cooking workshops at the farmhouse for eight years, and nobody who ever attended any of those workshops ever experienced anything strange. Uh So that's also something to note. Now, today, Jacqueline Nunez purchased the property in May, actually, of this year for $1.5 million, (laughs) which is actually four times what Corey Heinzen paid in 2019. Ooh. Like that is bonkers. Four times? That's insane. That's that's pretty nuts. So, apparently Nunez now uh, is offering a lot of paranormal tours. And so like if you want to nice. go on a ghost tour there, we could go. Um, I mean, uh a ghoulish tendencies field trip. I'm here I'm for it. I'm super down. We should do it, but also like they must be making bank. Um, oh, yeah. Apparently they're booked solid, like from ne- like all night tours through. I, I know you actually sent me an article about this, so thank you. I and did. Thanks, that that parents- my dad sent to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for contributing to content. Um, but uh, I guess it's because you know the tours range from twenty five dollars to one hundred and ninety dollars, and they're booked out solid for the next month currently. Um, that that makes sense given yeah, the time of year for yeah. sure. But apparently people there still see. Like mists, hear things, oh. steps are often heard, um, okay. and there's a lot of ghostly activity that happens there. So let's talk ghosts for a sec. All right. There's been a lot of reports of evidence. Of evidence. Evidence. There's children's drawings that were found with a crooked neck lady crumpled up and discarded in crevices of the home, which nice. to me is like really super creepy. Love um, it. A paranormal investigator also saw an apparition of a crooked neck lady by the well near the home. I thought Mm -hmm. the well was inside the home in the basement, but that's just me. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's been like actual video evidence and I've seen this. But again, take it at face value. We could debunk things day and night. But there have been um, video evidence of books flying off shelves. Nice. Um, Lots of disembodied like sounds like a clapping um, which is also shown in the movie in The Conjuring. Um, and there's an, an apparition of a woman in a white dress that's seen outside of the kitchen window. And sometimes you'll hear a woman greeting someone saying hello in a very friendly voice. Mm-hmm. There have been EVPs that say, help me and turn the light off. <laughs> Andrea Perrin went back and has a ghost hunting friend named George Lopez, which I don't think it's the comedian, but... <laughs> I love that that's his name. But I, I kind of want it I, to be, too. Like, that would be so fun. Amazing. Can, wait, hold on. Can we, like, envision a ghost hunting show with George Lopez and Andrea Perrin at the Conjuring I would, House? <laughs> I would hate watch it so hard. <laughs> so um, hard. But apparently they used a spirit box <laughs> together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there you go. Allegedly. Allegedly. Bathsheba came through utilizing Andrea's voice, like mimicking Andrea. Sure. And she was like, nope, don't use my voice. And then the voice came through with a childlike voice, which apparently is heard from time to time. Sure. Sure. Uh, We're going to keep saying sure. So in the Harrisville haunting documentary we talked about, this was the one I think is the most recently documented. 
Um, they did an investigation literally like the day that COVID started on Oy. March 16th, 2020. Um, they did an investigation with a new team that they put together for the documentary. There was a lot of demonic things that were referenced, um, like seven dead soldiers. Uh, there, there were, um, they saw a chair, a rocking chair start rocking on its own, caught it on camera, couldn't debunk it. A bunch of cameras died. Um, and then they actually like went back, went through all their evidence, went through all of their video and stuff, and then came back in February, 2021 to kind of like redo it and see if they could debunk anything. And they could not debunk any of the evidence that they reviewed since the last investigation. So to me, that's like the most compelling thing I've heard about so far. Mm -hmm. Um, Another wild thing is there's this guy named John Huntington who actually lived at the house for nine months as a caretaker, but was also a paranormal investigator. And in that um, documentary, it shows him doing an EVP session. And um, and when he plays back the EVP or the recording, you hear a a voice saying, fuck you. (laughs) Nice. Which I thought was so funny. Like, also, he, all he asked was, who is here with us? And it just said, fuck you. <laughs> so, I would do that if I was a ghost. It'd be funny. And, and yeah, and then there's the Ghost Adventures one I know we talked about a little bit. It was kind of cool that they did the investigation with the first two dudes who originally investigated. It is so dramatized, but I mean, it wouldn't be. Ghost Adventures? Ghost Adventures dramatized? What? It wasn't. So <laughs> there's actually one thing that I wanted to throw in for funsies is that... Um, Apparently, Andrea Perrin added additional uh, components to her version over the years, like aliens and UFOs that she claims um, (laughs) began communicating with her at the age of 12 while she lived at the farmhouse. Uh, There's an actual radio show that she talked about that on that I have a reference to. So I just thought that was a fun fact that I would throw in for you. Um, Again, credibility. (laughs) I will leave you with this... uh, Quote from our friend Kenny Biddle. This is just an episode about Kenny Biddle. He said, in the end, the Harrisville farmhouse simply doesn't have the tragic and gruesome history we've been led to believe. When legitimate research is done by competent people, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) we find that the tragedies used to justify the hauntings of the farmhouse have been snatched away from other families of the area. This appropriation of history seems to have begun with a book released in 2009 titled Paranormal Realities by Keith Johnson. With Andrea Perrin's first book having been released two years later, I can't help but see many of the histories Johnson erroneously attributed to the Harrisville farmhouse merely repeated and expanded upon by Perrin, rather than properly researched and corrected for historical accuracy. End quote. So, if it's haunted, it could be. Totally could be haunted. Lots of people died in that area. Would not surprise me that an old house would be haunted. Yes. Is it Bathsheba? Is it any of the other people? Is it just a bunch of telephone? I mean, uh, you're dealing with a home that old and with that many people f- coming through it. Is is it very, very possible there are ghosts and hauntings? Absolutely. Um, do I think any of these ghosts are any of the ones we've spoken about today? Probably no. not. Probably not. Probably and, not. And again, it's, it, 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 it further goes to our need to have an explanation for the identity of a spirit. Like, I'm all about, yes, let us try to find the history and identify a spirit, but 
Uh, you got to do it right, and you have to do your due diligence and do your research and, and make sure that you're not just taking local lore and attributing it to a situation that does not belong. Hey, freaking men. Darn tootin'. Darn tootin'. And that's The Conjuring House, guys. <laughs> I hope I didn't just ruin everything for you. But also, would it truly be ghoulish tendencies if we didn't ruin something? No. <laughs> and this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Uh, I have now finished 100 Days of Horror. Congratulations um, are in order. Yeah, it's year nine of of this. So next year is year 10. I'm going to get That's some like awesome. fun, fun things planned. Um, Does that mean that next year you will have seen 1,000 Days of Horror? 1,000 Days of Horror. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. So uh, a movie I watched, I think it was number 10 uh, in my countdown, so it was, it was pretty recent, was a movie called Deadstream, Ooh. which is currently on Shudder. And I am, again, I'm an unapologetic found footage fan. I love a good found footage movie. I love a bad found footage movie. Uh, and one of the things I really liked about this is that it was a really nice kind of twist on it. Um, you had a... Uh, Essentially, I mean, a, a YouTuber or a live streamer, I guess, because I don't think they, they specifically said YouTube. This live streamer who'd, uh, and the controversy gets kind of alluded to, and it's not till close to the end that you know what happened. He'd had some kind of, of controversy. His whole thing is that he does stupid shit to get people to watch his live stream. And, and, so and it's very so, accurate to based on he, like what actually happens these days. Yeah. And so in order to, he's made this offer. Um, to spend a night alone in the haunted house. Ooh. So he does, and then like shit goes down. But it's it's <clears> genuinely <throat> it's very funny. It's ridiculous. The the guy, the live streamer, he's not meant to. He's meant to be both like you. You kind of want to punch his face, but you're also weirdly rooting for him at times. I don't know. He it's 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 it it kind of checked all my boxes. I thought it was a really fun way to do something that was found footage without just kind of retreading the same grounds and making this the Blair Witch Project. Sure. Uh, I liked the comedy. Um, I thought it was very well done. I like any time you're getting that combination of some kind of spooky history, fabricated history, obviously. Sure. Uh, but combined with this with this movie, that's treated as fact. So it's streaming on Shutter. It's it's a good time. It's fun. It's it's. Uh, if you want something just kind of like light and silly, it's a wonderful watch for that. Nice. Um, I, I did also, go in. Oh, sorry. I was going to say I love I get the pun of Deadstream now that yeah. I know it was a live stream. Live stream. <laughs> That's chef's kiss. Well done. Yeah. Uh, I did go and see because they did a re-release to theaters. Uh, the original Romero uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah, which I've never seen in theaters before, um, and uh, I- I've seen the movie. Uh, I didn't count this for 100 Days of Horror, but again, I've never seen it in theaters, and whenever I have the opportunity to see some of these um, 
old school horror films in theaters, I found that it's it's very much worth it. So nice. it's a, if you've never seen the original Dawn of the Dead, it is it is a really fantastic movie. It's a good time. Uh, it's worth watching. It was really cool seeing it in theaters. It's got a kick-ass score. Nice. Uh, so it it's uh, it's still playing in theaters currently. I think it was doing really well, so they were going to keep it in for at least another week. But it, you know, the dead are still reigning across the earth, and this this group of of people who banded together find their way to a shopping mall and decide to like use that as their base. Uh and it's uh, and and the zombies are are flocking to the shopping mall. Uh, they just really got to get their stuff. Well, and it it was this whole you know um, Romero zombie films are always trying to say something. Uh, so you you have this this consumerism, you know, even even when you're dead, where do you want to go? You want to go mall. to the mall. Yeah. Uh so it, it was it was good. It was a really good time. It was a blast to see it in theaters. And nice. so if you have the opportunity, I'd say go see it in theaters. If you don't and you've never seen it, watch it. It's it's it it holds up. It really does. Nice. That's awesome. What have you been watching? I've been watching every conjuring thing known to man. <laughs> but I, I literally watched like the BuzzFeed Unsolved one. I watched the the Harrisville haunting documentary. Honestly, I kind of liked that one a lot. Like mm -hmm. I thought that the research done in it was really legit and the timing of it was so recent that it's like technologically sound too, which mm -hmm. I think is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But I also, funny enough, watched a show, which I've only seen like one episode of, so I can't really speak to the whole thing yet, but like sure. TBD, we'll see how it goes. 28 Days Haunted on Netflix. Have you seen that? Uh, I haven't seen it. I've seen, um, I've seen it pop up, but I haven't seen it. So basically what it is, is Netflix's version of a ghost show with a certain premise. And the premise is that based on Ed and Lorraine Warren's studies, uh -huh. which I didn't realize I was watching something not like related to what I was going to be talking about. Um, it was a total accident. But based on their studies and research, that it took 28 days to experience the full experience of a haunting and, and be fully engaged and um, understand what was going on in the space. And so sure. the premise of the show is that there's four different locations that are considered super haunted and they have paranormal investigators go in, psychic mediums go in with them, and they stay there for 28 days at each location and they film it and they provide... Oh the document for it or the documentation of it. And so yeah. um, it gets kind of religious-y at one point where I'm just like, mm, I don't know how I feel about that just because it's like so heavily religious. Right. Um, and that can get kind of tedious sometimes. Yeah. And also like that's not for everyone and you don't know if it's going to be a religious thing or not. And like sure. they go yeah. to demon real quick, like real, real quick, which you know how we feel about those things. But I had to watch part of it and at least get like a vibe on it. And I really love the way that Netflix creates content lately. Mm -hmm. So I'll watch it. I'm going to continue watching it. I just haven't had really much time because I've been watching every Conjuring thing known to man. Um, and I also watched The Conjuring because I had to get a fresh pair of eyes on it. Sure. Um, and yeah. it does still scare the crap out of me. Um, and it's great. And the worst part about it is the dog. Like I. Oh, yeah. I hate that part, part every time. Worst part of the whole film. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, that's what I've been watching. So uh, I'll have all the resources for everything that we talked about on this episode in our show notes um, Uh on our website. So if you guys are curious about any of the things that I talked about, you can check it out there. Um, But thank you for listening. And if you like what we do, give us a shout out on uh, Spotify or on Apple Podcasts with a review and a rating. We also have a Patreon. And Kim, what's our update? Uh, we will be posting pretty quickly. I've been kind of waiting for some more details to, to come out, but, uh, there's been a rather, actually there's been, to be fair, there's been two, uh, kind of exciting developments, uh, in true crime this week, um, which by the time this airs, I guess it's next week. I don't know. Uh, there was an arrest made in the, the murders of the two teen girls in Delphi, Indiana, the Delphi murders, uh, of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. Uh, it was a murder that happened back in 2017, a very sad case. It's not one we've ever covered, but it was a pretty significant case, partially because the girls were able to record, uh, somebody approaching them essentially. And, and so, um, there's finally been an arrest and charges have have been made. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that in the coming weeks. But it, it it has to be an absolute relief for the family to know somebody has finally been arrested for these murders. Uh, but relating specifically to our podcast, we did an episode on the Lady of the Dunes, which was an unsolved murder in Cape Cod. Almost, what, 50 years later? Yeah. She has finally been identified as Ruth Marie Terry. Wild. That's so nuts. Super, super wild. And at the time of this recording, it's still fairly fresh. Like, I've only started seeing more details beyond her name in the last 24 hours or so. So we will be recording an update which will be on our Patreon uh, sometime probably in the next week. Again, I wanted to to let some more details come in before recording the update. So if you are a, a subscriber to our Patreon, you will be able to check that update out. So keep your eyes peeled. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what you can look forward to if you are not yet a part of our Patreon peoples, uh-huh. ghouls, if you will. Um, we put some updates on there. We put, you know, bloopers of us what you don't hear on the podcast we put all kinds of old episodes that we're gonna have up there from our old podcast too to if you want to hear what we sounded like before we knew what we were doing um we'll have that up there shortly and uh yeah just as terrifying as any of our haunted tales um so if you like what we do check us out on there on um social meds schoolish tendencies podcast and thank you so much for listening having said that stay